Well, when I was in divinity school studying to be a pastor, uh, I had a crisis that took some getting over. I mean, let's be real. I had several crises that I had to get over, which is a reminder that not every crisis is a bad thing. But there was one crisis in particular that I really needed to get over that I want to talk about today. You see, there's something about me, something core to who I am that I didn't think would work in ministry. I am an introvert. And I don't mean a little bit. I'm like an introvert's introvert. Uh, When I take a Myers-Briggs personality test with the four letters that tells you something about who you are, uh, introvert is regularly my strongest trait. And there will be people who will say, but you stand up there on Sunday morning and are outgoing and all true. But if you want to know how much of an introvert I am, try to get a hold of me on Sunday afternoon. It's just not going to happen. I'm out. But I had this fear for a long time, and it still pops up every now and then. I've never quite left it all the way behind. But I've had this fear that maybe introverts aren't meant to be pastors. Because when I was in school, I tried to look for models of good ministry. And all the people I could see seemed to be very extroverted and outgoing. Of course, if you stop and think about it, this makes sense, right? Who are the people you're most likely to see being outgoing? Extroverts. There are actually probably as many, if not more, introverted pastors than you would think. It's just the ones you see on TV, the ones you're most likely to see in public, of course they're extroverts. Who's most likely to be up front? Who's most likely to be the center of attention in a crowd? Who's pastoral side? Whose pastoral style is most likely to be all of those things? Extroverts. So I had this crisis in divinity school. Maybe I'm going into the wrong field. And I can remember sitting in the library reading a book called Introverts in the Church, hoping that I, too, could figure out how to be a pastor without being extroverted. And I've got to say, this was definitely preferred to the alternative that I also tried, which was just trying to be as extroverted as possible, which always led to me feeling burned out. So a couple of years ago, I came across uh, this book that when somebody gave me this book, they literally called it the instruction manual for introverts. The book is called Quiet. And from the outset, the authors explain the difficulty of being an introvert in our society. It makes sense, they write, that so many introverts hide even from themselves. We live in a value system that I call the extrovert ideal, the omnipresent belief that the ideal self is gregarious and comfortable in the spotlight. The archetypal extrovert prefers action to contemplation, risk-taking to risk-taking Uh, certainty to doubt. He favors quick decisions even at the risk of being wrong. She works well in teams and socializes in groups. So the authors continue. While extroverts have gifts that serve well in leadership, the author wants them to make the point. So do introverts. And in fact, their skills are often undervalued. 
Extroverts, they write, tend to tackle assignments quickly. They make fast, sometimes rash decisions and are comfortable multitasking and mistaking. They enjoy the thrill of the chase for rewards like money and status. But introverts, introverts often work more slowly and deliberately. They like to focus on one task at a time and have the mighty power of concentration. They are relatively immune to the lures of wealth and fame. Basically, there are gifts that introverts have that they bring to any situation, including ministry. So it's taken me a long time to accept this. And quite honestly, I'm not there yet. But I I have come to the realization as I've tried to understand what it means to be an introvert who stands up in front of a bunch of people every Sunday morning. And what I've learned is that actually God wants me, not the me I could be, not the me I might someday be, not the me who has become a different person, but God wants me. God has called me because I am first and foremost a beloved child of God. You know, I have my own unique gifts, which don't include being an extrovert, but does include things like deep thinking, like presence, like a desire not to chase the next best thing, but to be discerning about what choices I do make. And I've wondered if a lot of life isn't just figuring this out. What are our gifts and how do they work? But whatever gifts we do bring, whether you're extroverted, it's okay if you're extroverted, by the way. I should stop and say that. But I think when we think about our gifts, we have to begin with this knowledge that we are indeed children of God, and that in fact, whatever we are, whoever we are, in, in God, we are more than enough. That for God's purposes, we are more than what is needed. So today, we're gonna hear another letter from the early church. This one might be written by the Apostle Paul, it might be written by a follower, people aren't really sure but it's to a church that is just beginning to understand the core teaching of Jesus, that his salvific work meets us where we are and that it begins with accepting who we are. And once we're rooted in the love of God in Christ, we realize that we have gifts to give. In fact, we have more than enough. So let's hear this reading from the third chapter of the letter to the Ephesians. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than we can ask or imagine, 
To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. And may God bless this reading. Well, the most famous verse in Ephesians isn't from our reading today. It's from a chapter back. Verse 2, 8 through 9 reads, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. And this verse was made famous for Martin Luther, who saw in it the key to understanding God's grace. Luther, if you're not familiar, was a monk in the 1600s. He was known as a zealous believer, someone who dedicated all of his time and energy to figuring out how to be a good Christian. I mean, you got to think, to be a monk means you're literally going to spend 24-7 trying to understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And he did all of the things, at least as much as he could. But Luther very famously had a creeping anxiety about his worthiness. He wondered constantly, am I doing enough? So no matter how much work he put into faith, no matter how much prayer, how much devotion, how much fasting, Luther still had this sense that none of it was enough, that he always had to do more. So there's this apocryphal story told about Luther in which he goes to his abbot, the head of his monastery, and complained that no matter what he did, it wasn't enough to please God. He just kept working and kept working. And Luther quipped that he didn't understand why God was so mad at him. And the abbot responded with something that has reverberated throughout history. Martin, he supposedly said, it's not God who's mad at you, it's you who's mad at God. Luther couldn't get over this fact that he never felt like he could do enough, that he could never be enough for God. But this this led to the breakthrough in his theology. And Ephesians 2 was part of the key. It wasn't that we could gain favor with God if we changed ourselves enough. It wasn't our work that brought God to us. It was the other way around. It was God's grace working in our lives as they are that was the key. So for me, when I first heard this, uh, it felt like a strange idea. It's easy to say that works don't get a salvation. God's grace does. But the Bible does expect things from us. I mean, love means that there are things you should and shouldn't do things that are loving. And for me personally, when I heard Luther, it sounded a lot to me like, do whatever you want and God will let you off in the end. But at some point I realized that it wasn't that Luther thought that there weren't Christian behaviors to cultivate. It's that Luther was changing the starting place. You see, the best way to learn to be loving towards others is first to accept that you were loved. The best way to understand compassion towards others is to first understand self-compassion. The best way to practice kindness 
is to first of all be kind to yourself. And it's Jesus who makes this possible, who comes and shows us grace and love and mercy and kindness. Jesus, in Jesus, God is initiating this because it's not a love based on what you've done. It's not even a love based on what you could do. It's a love rooted in the grace and faithfulness of a God who chose first to love us. And that love is transforming. That love has the ability to change us. In today's passage, you hear the author writing about the work that is being done within this church. Hearts are being changed. They are being rooted in love. Jesus is undertaking the transformation of their very being. Not that we might be wholly different. I am not becoming an extrovert. But that we might fully love and accept who God has made us. Because we are first and foremost, before anything else, beloved children of God. And so this is the secret to Luther's theology. What's most important to God is not that we become some perfect person. It's not that we acquire the skills to do some task or transform ourselves into the perfect followers of Christ. What's most important to God is that we love one another, that we practice kindness and mercy and compassion, that we live like Jesus. And the best, most powerful and effective way to do that isn't to try to mold ourselves into something that we're not. The best way to do that is to start where Jesus starts. By realizing that we are loved and accepted by a God who is doing so much within us. You know, we're talking this week a little bit about discovering gifts. And this is kind of an odd place to begin we often think about the things we can't do. We often think about the things that we wish we could do. But we talked last week about the difference between scarcity and abundance. That this way of thinking can change how you see the world. And talking about what you can't do is scarcity thinking. The scarcity thinking we learned last week leads to hyperfixation where you can't take your eyes off of the thing that you lack. But abundance thinking begins where God's grace begins. That we are, as we, that we as we are have something to offer. Even if it's just presence and the fact of your existence. We know that we are the object of God's love and affection. That God wants us. That God loves us. And if God can use you then we are more than capable. And I honestly think that once you start accepting this, then you can start adding the other stuff on. Right? It wasn't learning to be a good introvert that made me realize that I had gifts to share. It was actually the process of learning that I was already loved, that nothing I could do could lose me the love of God, that I was a worthwhile individual 
once I have learned to accept that, then the real work of God could begin in, in me. Some of the traits, some of the thoughtfulness, some of the deliberation that my introverted self is really good at, those could be put to work. And I'm sharing this, of course, not because it's a finished project, because it's not. Self-acceptance is a lifelong task, and out of it flows so much of who we are. The work Jesus is doing in our hearts, calling us back to him, filling us with a love and a peace that surpasses understanding, that takes a while. And I wonder today if you've sat with it lately. We're talking about abundance in church these few weeks. Today, as we talk about you and me as individuals, I wonder if you sat with this, not asking the question, what are your gifts? But before that, what about the love of God? Do you know it? Have you spent time in your life just sitting with it? Relishing in it? Because God loves you. And not just loves you, but accepts you. Shows kindness and mercy to you. Not because of some great deed you've done, but because you are God's beloved. Once we become aware of this fact and once we let it seep into our very being, then we can begin to realize the abundance that we already possess. So what passions do you have? What skills have you developed in your lifetime? What roads has the Spirit of God led you down that resulted in you knowing something that you can teach someone else, that you can lead someone else in? Unless you begin with self-acceptance, you're always going to feel like those things aren't enough. But in Jesus, who comes to accept us as we are, we begin to discover not only do we have enough to offer the world, but actually we are more than enough. Amen. As we gather for worship this morning, we invite you to connect with us. If it's your first Sunday worshiping, uh, take a moment to introduce yourself following worship. And that